Welcome to Give a Heck. I am your host, Dwight Heck, and for much of my life, lived my life in quiet desperation, wondering how I was going to pay the bills, take vacations, save for retirement, and one day wondering if I would get off the hamster wheel of life and have purpose. A life that most of society lives, which takes us to work, then home, then repeat, and pays us hopefully enough just to survive. The harsh truth that most live with more months than money and have no idea how to live life on purpose, not by accident. This ensures the mass majority are living not just financially broke, however emotionally and mentally as well due to financial pressures. In each episode, I will introduce you to thoughts, ideas, and guests that can help you to learn how you too can live life on purpose, not by accident. Good day and welcome to Give a Heck. On today's show, I welcome Susie Hayes. Susie helps people become and stay freed from stuck by showing them how to access internal resources they never knew they had. To create what they never knew they could, combining coaching, counseling, and hypnosis. With two master's degrees in education and counseling and over 40 years of experience as a psychotherapist, life and business coach, hypnotist, teacher, speaker, and author, Susie Hayes helps people become and stayed freed from stuck. She is the author of the award-winning book, Freed from Stuck, Dare to Cross the Bridge Beyond Grief, Trauma, and Self-Sabotage to Discover Lasting Change Now. I'd like to welcome you to the show, Susie. Thanks so much for agreeing to come on and share with us some of your life journey. Thank you so much. It's an honor to be here. I look forward to this conversation. Um, After researching, being on your website yesterday and putting together the flow of what I wanted to show to um, entail. um, I thought that this is even more prevalent in regards to you. One of the things I focus on in my show is a person's origin story, not just, you know, tell us some of your back end story. I want to know things about, you know, when you were a little girl, Susie, what was your life like all the way up to where you are today? Because It's so important for the people listening and and investing their time into listening to you and I communicate to know, like, and trust you. And the more vulnerable we can be as a society to one another, the more we can connect with one another. And the more that the information that we're trying to, you know, relate to others sticks. So could you do me a favor, Susie? Tell me your origin story and what key things from your childhood to adulthood that led you to where you're at currently? I was raised in a conservative family and uh, faith was certainly an important part of that uh, conservative. Actually, I was raised in the Pentecostal denomination and um, I had a mother who was um, intermittently abusive to me. So I had to heal from much that I experienced with her. I had a father who was very caring and very loving and he was my anchor and he was the one who helped me uh, move through my developmental years. He, we were very close, my father and me. And one of the greatest gifts that he gave me 
was permission to ask questions. And uh, that has served me so well because he understood and appreciated my spontaneous curiosity as a child. And he really encouraged me to cultivate that even into adolescence and into adulthood, that good questions were really important in terms of learning and growing and uh, quality of life. And that was probably one of the greatest gifts he gave me. That's awesome. One of the things that our society is so ingrained in and it still passes. We we all live pattern behaviors from different generations. And I know when myself, when I was a kid, I didn't necessarily hear it all the time from my folks, but some of my parents' as friends or family, because my dad was one of 18 kids. My mom was one of nine. And it was very 18? prevalent. Oh yeah. my gosh. I've never yeah. heard of a family that large. Uh, wow. I know people with larger, just so you know. Oh my um, gosh. Yeah. So basically my point was, is, you know, better to be seen than, than heard, you know, like I, I used to hear that and once in a while have relatives, you know, I'd be inquisitive and asking questions and, and I was just, a, I was always that way. I was very inquisitive. I was very wanting to know. And it wasn't ever that I was challenging because you know how some adults can and take younger children or even as an older adult, we can ask somebody older than us a question and they get defensive, right? Mm. So that, pat that pattern, that process seems to happen a lot in our society. And it's based on that, you know, better to be seen, not heard, instead of realizing that asking questions and being inquisitive is really the... the the anchor to success in life because if we sit and always wonder and never challenge we just accept we're on a hamster wheel right we we never get ahead in life so uh, you know i look at the my life is a little bit different than yours you said your your uh, mom was intermittently abusive your dad was a caring loving anchor helped you develop over the years for me it was the opposite my dad was was that he was caring. I learned a lot from him, especially as a young man. I had to start working for our family business when I was very young. I learned a lot about relationships and how to deal with clients and and realizing that, you know, service of individuals requires no liking and trusting him and, and building that relationship that the transaction needs to happen to support your lifestyle and your family but the relationship is key to that transaction happening over and over again, or having that transaction refer somebody else to you so that you can start that process of relationship and building. So I got a lot of that from my dad on that basis, but my emotional and mental and just development of my life and my compassion and my empathy came from my mother. So I like the fact that, you know, we're a little bit different, but you know, it was the same sort of thing. And I'm not saying my, my dad was, was the worst. He was, he was, he did his best, right? One of 18 kids growing up in the, in the forties, he, he was always focused on work, work, work. And anything outside of that, any, you know, inquisitive question or anything, you know, challenging him or, Hey, can you do this was a distraction from what his focus was making money to support the family. Yeah. Right. So, I appreciate you sharing that. 
Um, I grew up in a faith bearing family as well. It's, you know, grew up Catholic, um, had to learn a lot about myself in regards to the fact of what we project on people in regards to religion and that it is an organized thing. And am I still, am I connected to God? Am I connected to the religion because it's been controlled and constructed to manipulate and put us on a path that man figures we should be on or humankind or whatever, however you want to put it. So what are the, what are the things that you involve in your life in regards to faith? How did it affect you growing up in the Pentecostal faith? Not necessarily that Pentecostal is the issue, but um, how did faith develop within your life up to now? Well, because it was so foundational to our household, um, I grew up with a very strong awareness and connection to faith. I think as a child, I had a, a simple faith. And our, our world really revolved around mostly our church activities. That was really the culture the, that I grew up in. And I have um, amazingly wonderful memories from that, and I'm, I'm so appreciative of that heritage. And what happened was that um, I went to college and then I decided that I wanted to go into ministry. And so I was in ministry and eventually went to seminary and began a master's in education. And uh, I loved, I love the opportunities of the church in terms of the interaction, the education, the support, um, the building up of people, the potential for healing and um, bringing comfort through faith. I found, however, that as I was moving out into ministry and I was in ministry for about 13 years, first with education and then into counseling where I developed counseling centers um, in several churches in Denver, that I was having a struggle theologically with the tenets that I had been raised with. And the one that most challenged me was the belief in original sin that we were born separated from God. And I, I could not understand that as being so foundational to the faith experience because it was hard for me to imagine how an infant could enter the world separated from God in its innocence. And so eventually what happened was because of this dissonance with my experience of God and my study and grappling with these questions, I eventually left the conservative church. At that point, I had I'd actually um, served in a Baptist church and in a Presbyterian church. So I had I had moved theologically, progressively in that way. And I finally had to leave the church because I did not feel like I was living in integrity. 
like I was struggling because I was in a system that was presenting an idea with regard to that we are separated from God and we must be redeemed and that we are sinners. And I could not square that with my experience of love. And so I, I actually left the church. I continued in my own private practice, but um, I, then I began to explore all, all kinds of other schools of thought, um, you know, all the way from Buddhism to metaphysics. And that was a rich experience for me that continues today in terms of I'm continually to grow and learn. And I'm always, even as I am studying psychological materials, uh, I'm, I'm going into choice theory right now. I'm really studying that right now. I'm always thinking about it in terms of also what that means for us as spiritual beings. So that's kind of been the progression of my spiritual journey to where I am now. And I find that what once felt like a chore, well, not a chore, but more of a narrow kind of perspective, like this is the truth. Yeah. I find now that my perspective about spirituality and faith and the world and our connection is so much broader. And in that, then I find a tremendous amount of freedom. And I always said it was my father's permission to ask questions and be curious that led me out of the church. In other words, that ability that he taught me served me in that change process. And um, today, decades later, in you know a, a mature place in my life, I am very, very much at peace and enjoy with where I'm at in my spiritual experience. And for me, what that really means is living every day with a tremendous sense of gratitude. Oh, I love that. Thank you for sharing that and being vulnerable about it. You know, there's so many people that will listen or watch this that are caught in that, what their society or, you know, not their society, but our society or their parents or everybody has for expectations. And I like how you mentioned the fact that your father challenged you because if he nurtured your ability to ask questions and be inquisitive, I did that with one of my daughters because, again, I grew up as a Catholic, um, going to mass, taking my kids. And as they would get older, they'd ask questions and they'd be inquisitive or they didn't want to go anymore because they're teenagers. And initially, I was resistive to it. And, uh, you know, as obviously the older children get things not as gentle as the younger children, (laughs) right, out of five kids. Um, What I mean by that is, yes, you have to come to church. Well, by the fifth one, it was like, okay, you do you, I'm doing me. This isn't about your spirit. This is about my spiritual journey. I can't control what you want to do. You need to research and make choices. And my um, second oldest, I challenged her this when she was in junior high. So she was in middle school going into high school and suggested that she do the research. I said, you have a computer you know the internet and then you and I can have quite we can answer questions and the answers that she got led her away from the church 
so be it. She made her own conscious choices. Um, she would have conversations with me about organized religion and how it's, you know, she read the Quran, for an example, Quran or however you pronounce it. And then she's, she's written and she followed a lot that I'm talking all the way from junior, about grade eight, grade nine, all the way through um, high school and into university. We'd have conversations and organized religions and those that are listening to this I hope you're not offended, but organized religions are designed to control you. It's what they believe is a mandate um, for how you should live your life based on they use God as their their weapon, not as their not as their blessing on you or or as a spiritual uplifting. They're like, you know, if you do this, you're going to burn in hell or God won't be pleased or Jesus won't enjoy that. And I got so tired of that myself. So I've I don't know if you will agree with this or not, but I've taught a lot of people that treat your life like a smorgasbord, treat it like a buffet, whether it's your religion or whatever it is, you're going to get inundated with so many choices. And when you go to buffet, do you eat everything? Well, you might try something because it looks kind of interesting. You don't like it. You're never going to touch it again. You're only going to satiate yourself with the things that, that make you, you know, enjoy. Right. And that's the way life should be. If you don't like something in your faith, I, I treat life as a 70-30 principle. 70% of the time when I'm interacting with Susie or I'm interacting with my faith or business clients, whatever the case may be, I need to feel joy, right? Not ecstatic joy, but I need to feel happiness. And I can't wait to see Susie again. I can't wait to talk to that person at church again. If it ever gets to a point in my life where my balance hits 50-50, I'm usually that person's gone. I'm leaving that at the buffet. They're, they're staying there. I'm not satiating myself emotionally, mentally, or whatever the case may be. So that's how I've stayed in organized faith because I have so many friends that have jumped from church to church to different labeling, right? Protestant, Presbyterian, Lutheran, Catholic, Mormon. Oh my gosh. Like there's so many of them. They're all labels. I believe in Jesus. I believe in God. I'm very faith-centered. I go to church because that's where I feel grounded and centered for that hour, that week. And then the thing that I like that you said, I practice my faith in the sense that I live a life of gratitude and gratefulness. I wake up blessed and you know, thank you, God, for letting me have another shot at today. And then I have gratitude for the simple things like just, oh, I got feet. I can step out of bed. I got legs. I can walk into a bathroom. So many people don't have that. I can brush my teeth. I got arms. Thank you, God. Oh, you give me oxygen in the air. Thank you for allowing me to have something to breathe to keep me alive. Right. So I I, I treat my religion as a, as a buffet. I don't believe in everything that the Catholic faith or Christianity stands for. That's man and humankind's interpretation of it and then they manipulate and control it through the centuries to to keep us docile and, and in line right again there's gonna be people listening that don't like me saying that this is just my opinion you don't have to have the same one what are your what are your thoughts in regards to the controlling aspect of religion well i would I would reframe that a bit, but I would like to go back for just a moment, if I may. Sure. And pause to honor you as a father, giving your daughter permission in her own journey. 
that is so important, not only for your relationship with her, because you are essentially the first representation of Father God, if you will, in her life. I appreciate and that. so for your generosity and your peace inside yourself to give that gift to her, I think really needs to be appreciated. So I want to, first of all, stop and really honor that. Thank you. In response, you're welcome. In, in response to your question, I would reframe it a bit differently because I honestly think that the majority of people who are in organized religion, who are leaders in the church, their intention is not necessarily to control their intention is based in fear that they're attempting to protect, I believe. And so they feel this urgency that people do whatever in a certain way because it's a way of, of dealing with the fear that they feel, again, around separation from God. And so I, I think that it's, that they're trying to they're trying to put a system in place to accomplish good but what happens is that when people don't comply then they want to do what they only knew know how to do and that can be to control yeah and the consequence of that is is that it doesn't allow people to really search in their faith. It doesn't allow them to ask questions or challenge um, ideas. Uh, my father and I, he, he was a carpenter with an eighth grade education, but he loved to study theology. And so he had this massive library of books. And so we would sometimes sit in his in his den, his man cave by the fireplace. And we would talk about these issues. And I would, I would say to him, that doesn't make sense to me, daddy. I don't understand that. And he would allow me to challenge the ideas. And it was an amazing experience because I learned in that debate, if you will, what really fit for me. And he never felt the need to control my, my belief process or my study process in my faith journey. He just let me find my way in that. And I know that he would have preferred that I stayed in the conservative church in Christianity. And yet he respected that. He respected me and trusted me in my journey. And so as, as much I think as he would have liked for me to have stayed in that tradition, he also supported me and encouraged me in my journey to, to go where it made sense for me. Well, it's tough as a parent to break out of the pattern or the shadows that we live in that were taught to us, right? And I get that. And it was a struggle for me, obviously, the communication from my oldest down to the youngest, as I mentioned, was completely different in regards to, you know, religion and 
you know, I'll have one kid say, well, you never did that for me. Well, I learned. <laughs> I changed. I'm sorry. That's another thing. Being genuine and apologizing and saying, you know what, that's who I used to be. Because that happens even with because my kids are all adults. Um, being a single dad, raising them was was a challenge. It was character building. And you know, today as adults, older, older adults, you know, my oldest is going to be 36 right away. The youngest just turned 23. They'll say to me, you know, well, you're this, 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 and that. So there'll be a group of people talking and we'll talk about something and I'll comment on something. Well, no, you're not. You're this, this. Well, actually, you know what? And I'll, I won't get upset. I used to years ago. I'll just look at them. I'll acknowledge them. You know what? You're right. I was like that. But this is who I who I have become now. I've grown. I've continued to climb in my thought processes and challenge the status quo of what I was pattern taught. Right? Maybe it was something from ten years ago. It doesn't even have to be from childhood. It can be something. The biggest thing is is admitting to people that we are growing, that our our former belief or what we've shared was incorrect, and. You know, based on what I know now, this is what I believe. We well, can't always keep up on telling my children, hey, you know what? This, this, and that that I used to talk to you about has changed, right? So that comes up, but I have that open communication and constantly challenge them to research and figure it out. And there'll be times where there'll be things that even after you research it, we're still going to agree to disagree. But let's do it in a respectful way and just walk away. I love the fact that your your dad would sit with you and talk to you about it and allow you to communicate. Um, I didn't necessarily have that. And it, it, it might have been there, but I didn't know how to, you know, come up with the, the sense of being challenging that way. Because again, my dad was very matter of fact, and my mom was loving and she was the faith bearing person. But, you know, I used to see her in Bible study, she'd hold them at our house when I was a kid growing up, or, you know, or she'd go to somebody else's house, and I'd listen to them communicate. And it was all very structured. Not a lot of questions. Uh Not a lot of there was discussion. What do you what do you think this means? Well, not a discussion where that's wrong. You know what? I don't agree with that. That doesn't make sense. So it, it's comforting to know that you had that, right? It was, that's great. So I think me not seeing it made it that I wanted my kids to, especially when they started becoming more and more resistive. And my mother, like my mom and dad are still alive. They're in their eighties and they still, my mom still pangs and and hurts because none of her grandkids go to church anymore. Or like my kids, she has more than just my kids. I have siblings, but of my five kids, none of them go to church anymore. And that's right. Some of them, it's just like you, you're not necessarily a Christian anymore. I have, none of my kids are, they believe in God. They will talk about the fact that they have, they still have a belief in, in God. Um, They don't necessarily communicate about it we don't necessarily talk about religion it's not avoided if it comes up in conversation but it's just like a lot of things we avoid politics we avoid religion we stay centered and focused on the commonalities that we have instead of poking like i say the kids poking the bear making people upset when they're staunch about what they believe right so you know even though you're you say your father probably would have wished you'd stayed you, you know I I imagine he your father's gone. He's no longer. Yes. Yeah. 
Yeah, I guarantee smiling down and and still proud of you, right? Yes, Regardless of, of that expectation of that conservative religion. So Susie, you utilize hypnosis to help people get unstuck. Can you explain to the listeners what exactly hypnosis is and how it can help along the psychotherapy journey? Yes, I actually became interested in hypnosis um, because I had worked with a practitioner myself and found that it was very useful in being able to move the healing process forward uh, more quickly. So I began to, uh, went and got trained along with training in NLP because I was originally trained as a psychotherapist and I found that to be very useful, but I found that the hypnosis allowed for us to do work at a deeper level more quickly because you can slip underneath defenses to access information in the non-conscious mind and you can address issues at that level with, with supportive directives that allow the mind to shift uh, and to heal in certain ways to be able to move forward in, in your life. Now, I tell people, a hypnotist cannot make you do anything that you don't want to do because we have, we have that control. So that's really important to keep in mind is that nothing is going to happen at the non-conscious level that is contrary to your core beliefs. So whatever you believe to be true, um, whatever your values are, hypnosis is not going to override that. So even if you would, if a hypnotist would give directives to you that would not be in alignment, then um, your, uh, your mind would check that and would not receive that as a message, which is really important. People also ask, um, well, I don't think I can be hypnotized. And I say to them, do you watch TV? And they say, yes. And I say, then you've been hypnotized because hypnosis is really just being taken into a relaxed, altered state of consciousness. Uh, you're not unconscious, you're not asleep when you're being hypnotized, you're fully alert. And in some ways your mind is even more alert and more um, observing in the process. So it's not something for people to be concerned about in terms of to be afraid of it, but rather to see it as a, a resource, a tool to be able to create change more rapidly at a deeper level. So it, it's something that it's another tool in your arsenal to help people through their journey in life. So it's not necessarily something that is, would you say it's good for everybody, that everybody should have hypnosis when they're going through challenges? Or is there specific times where you use other avenues? Hypnosis can be used when anyone is really wanting, it can be used in, in several ways. Um, sometimes particularly with regard to um, trauma or historical blocks, hypnosis is useful in going back and accessing. 
Um, there's also a technique in NLP, which is timelining, where you actually go into the uh, into memories and then you reconstruct around those. Those can be very useful in that way. It can also be useful in terms of if you have a pattern or a habit that you want to change, that you can address that more deeply at, at that level. So hypnosis can be valuable to people. Sometimes people are just too afraid. It feels too vulnerable to them. And when people feel that way about that protocol, I say it's probably not going to work for you because you're, you're too busy defending yourself at a conscious level that you can't relax into the process and trust both the hypnotist and yourself and your non-conscious mind to be responsive. And I'm always very, very respectful of people when they say, I don't want to be hypnotized. I'm afraid of hypnosis. It's not a value to me. But I encourage people who are wanting to look at that as a, what I call an adjunct resource, because often people will view hypnosis as a quick fix, as magic, as a way to avoid doing therapeutic work because they don't want to, to do the hard stuff of the work. And it's why I always use it in conjunction with counseling or coaching. So for example, several years back, I actually developed a protocol and I've not heard of anybody else who does this, but I began to use hypnosis in adjunct with sessions, consultations of, of coaching or counseling, where we would have the session and we work on whatever that issue might be. And then afterwards, I would write and record a uh, hypnotic trance, MP3, email it to them. They listen to it throughout the week, preferably at least once a day until our next session, the following week or two weeks out, however we're working with it. And the beauty of that was and is that it allows us to attend to the immediate conscious work, but to use that to go to a deeper level. And then the mind is working on that information for that following week. And it actually causes the process to move more deeply and more quickly for them because we're working at both the conscious and the non-conscious level. So that, that, message that you're asking them to listen to is making sure that it's front of mind all the time. It's, it's creating a habit within their thought processes. Yes. And it's also focused upon what their attention is focused upon. So if they're talking about something specific in the session, that's where their mind and their heart is, right? Like they're focused on that. This is what I'm working on. And if we take the insights and the information and the healing that took place in that session, and we reinforce it hypnotically, it allows that to integrate better internally. Oh, that makes sense. So it's 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 a positive homework, right? It's it is. Yes. That, yeah. And you and you don't even have to do anything but listen. Which is easy, right? And I can it understand. Is. 
I've heard that from people in regards to hypnosis, even NLP, that they're they're fearful of it. And it's even in my practice, I can't help people through processes of helping them, you know, understand and peel back the layers of the onion as to why their circumstances are where they are to break down the, their pattern learning that they learn that it's okay to think differently. It's similar to what we talked about with religion. It's patterns we learn. And if they're not willing, it's a waste of my time. You know, you can't, a person against convinced against their will is of the same opinion still. So, you know, I appreciate the fact that it's it's a tool in your in your toolbox to help people. And for those that are willing to use it, it's in conjunction with um, other things that you offer with your psychotherapy, which is a good thing. Is hypnosis something that can be done over what we're doing right now, or is it something that has to be done face to face? No, actually, since um, the pandemic, uh, of course, I was not able to use my office for um, uh, at least a year, and I was doing all of my work virtually. And so, at um, when my lease came up, I actually closed my office. So I'm doing all of my work, including hypnosis, virtually. Sweet. The reason I ask is because I want to obviously have people understand who you are, you know, obviously through this conversation, know, like, and trust. And if they need help, no matter where they are, they can get it then, right? I've always wondered if hypnosis was effective over virtual training. So thank you for, thank you for that answer. Um, so when you, you talked about um, hypnosis and and it's in conjunction. Is it something that some people work like it works on very quickly, or is it something that like you you said about the MP3 and they you know they listen to it until they see you again? Is there a certain type of personality or person that hypnosis will work quicker, or do they have to be in the right frame of mind? Uh, like my point is is. Obviously, you can't say, well, it's going to take three sessions or it's going to take five sessions. Is there any any magical thing that can make hypnosis be more effective quicker? People who, I always say to people, what, whatever is going to be the structure of our work together, I say, I want a six-week commitment from you. And then we reevaluate after six weeks what the value has been for you and the changes that you are experiencing. So I ask people to think about the change process in six weeks because that's a sufficient amount of time to really get an idea about how the process is working for them as it's structured. Now, hopefully people are experiencing positive change every week, right? I mean, we would hope that's happening. <laughs> of course. Um, so. And I I, uh, I can't imagine it otherwise, right? That's why we do the work. But there are some people who are more receptive in that they tend to be more trusting, more open, more eager to change, more invested in doing the work, whatever it is that they need to do to change, those people usually are very, very receptive to the hypnosis because they have an openness and a trust in the process. And so they tend to do very well. 
those who tend to be a little bit more hesitant. Um, and I, I kind of see people as not necessarily not being willing, but sometimes not ready. Um, and, and it really comes down to that they're afraid. And so some, some people will dive right in and some people will tippy toe in. But what I always tell the people that I work with is you need to know that when we work together, we are not water skiing, we are scuba diving. So we're gonna go in, we're gonna do the work, whatever that is, because I want people to receive value in the work. I want them to be able to grow and heal as quickly as they are ready to do that. And I'm respectful of the fact that sometimes it's, it is just really scary. It's really scary to feel sometimes the pain or the grief in the healing process. It's hard to go back to tough stuff, but I always tell people that Whatever you experienced historically in isolation, you will not be returning to in isolation because I'm coming alongside of you to go to that place. Mm. And that is really important for people to understand is that, yeah, it may be hard to go back and explore history if that's necessary, but you're not alone this time. And you're not a vulnerable dependent, limited child, you're an adult or sometimes an adolescent, but you're an adult with incredible resources inside of yourself to go back and revisit this in a way that you can come through it with understanding and healing and insight and wisdom and an appreciation of what how it helped you, though it might not seem that way, be the person you are today. I and that, that is the goal of the work. That is the goal of the work is that, that you need to come to an understanding of how precious you are, how value, valuable you are, what you have to offer, the gifts that are inside of you how life experiences served you to gain wisdom and insight, to participate purposefully in life. That's what brings us joy. And so as people began to appreciate the richness of what I call their internal resources, and they began to trust their ability to figure out their life, there is such a satisfaction in that work and so those who are really eager to embrace that are the ones that are going to be most satisfied in either counseling or coaching or hypnosis. Yeah, it's I like how you how you framed all that and it is it's you're taking all the angst that people have developed over their lifetime and I guess the only word I can think of right now at the moment is you're reframing and how they look at it. And as you mentioned, you're enriching their thought process for them to say, well, that this caused this, but it also caused this, the, the positive side of it. And, and 
taking care of them not having so many regrets. I know some of the things that I regretted in my life and that I've reframed over my lifetime. At one time, I thought that was terrible. And and now today, I may look at that same event and go, you know, if that didn't happen, I wouldn't be here. I wouldn't be there. I wouldn't have had this happen. Because we tend to live in in the past, right? And that's what depression is, is the main driver is us living and having regrets. So I appreciate how you structured your answer and, and how it can make a difference in people's lives. You know, obviously fear being our biggest um, anchor, right? Um, But we don't have to be fearful, especially when you have somebody such as you that are, that are, you know, along the journey, as you mentioned, they're not alone anymore, even though people can, we can have so many people in our lives and they all have great intentions and, and people's, you know, I feel alone while well, you have all this, you have your mom, your dad, your sister, your brother, you have your friends, you have your church, you have this and that, but it doesn't mean that you still don't feel alone. You don't have the right person to help you along the journey of healing to stop regretting everything and to appreciate and have that gratitude and gratefulness that we've uh, been talking about. So good for you. I appreciate you. Thank right? you. You're welcome. So Susie, your resume of what you've achieved to help others in regards to schooling and certifications is really impressive, actually, yeah. after I was researching you yesterday more you know, closely. In the past 40 years of experience, I imagine you have many stories you could share of helping people get unstuck. Can you share some details of the most impactful change you've seen happen when an individual becomes unstuck? That is... That is hard because I've worked with so many people for quite a while, but there, um, it can be anything. It can be more than yeah. one. Even. It can be just a little snippet. I just want people to understand that, you know, there is some very impactful things that you've accomplished and changed so many people's lives. Yes. I, I really want to encourage people to be hopeful in the change process. It really can happen for you. I, I think about, um, uh, it, was, it actually began in couples therapy. That they came to me and um, their relationship was not going well. And uh, she was wanting to get married, but he had been uh, unfaithful to her. And so... Um, she kind of wanted me to fix him, right? <laughs> and what she came to understand through the, the counseling process was that she realized it wasn't going to work. She realized that she couldn't pretend, she couldn't really trust him and she couldn't trust him because he wasn't trustworthy. But there was the issue of of sort of the idealized image of what she had hoped would be there. And there was also the reality of golden handcuffs that she was financially dependent on him and he was very wealthy and he was very generous to her with his wealth. But she came to a point where she realized it wasn't going to change. He wasn't going to be what she hoped he would be. And I have seen this in relationships. Uh, I see it and I've, 
I've referred to it in the past, what I call the egg timer experience. See it most often in women, but it's where they kind of go along and it's like tick, 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 ding. And when they hit the ding, they're done. They're done. There's no talking them out of it. There's no going back. I have only had one woman that I recall that got to that point where she thought she was done. And, and we actually were able to recover the marriage because he then was willing to step up. But often when people get to that place, the, it's, it's done. But it was a really scary thing for her because she had to reconstruct her life. And what has happened then is she continued her work with me and she rebuilt her life. She went on to become a divorce coach and mediator. She went into real estate and mortgage, um, um, the mortgage business and became very successful there. She continued to raise her children and she is still in contact from time to time, living a very full, productive, prosperous, satisfying life. That's awesome. So to see that progression uh, for me is really, really satisfying. Oh, it, it's satisfying for me just to listen to it. And the reason I asked the question is I want the people listening or watching to realize that if you put in the, in the work, you put in the time, you don't have to be subservient and rely on others. You can figure out you, you can love you again. You can be happy. You create your own happiness. You can't expect other people to do that. And that, that story was perfect. Whether he had wealth or he took you know, care of her financially, she wasn't satisfied and satiated mentally and emotionally. And she put the work in with you and got along the journey, however long it took, you know, she's stable. She's, you know, got a life where she's satiated, she's happy, and you don't need other people to do that for you, whether you're a couple or you're just significant, you know, whatever the case may be, you don't need society to make you whole. You need yourself to be to make yourself whole and the right coaches, mentors, therapists that are going to, you know, whether it's physically holding your hand along the journey or just taking you through the proper steps. Um, so it's important that the people listening understand that it's never too late to give a heck about yourself. Right. And Absolutely. just do the path, take, like take the path. It's it can be a struggle. But the end result is, as you were saying with that, with that woman and how much her life changed. And we all can have that. And it does, you know, even for my older listeners, like, cause I do have listeners in their sixties and seventies that, that listen to the show or even the youngest, it's never too late to start. It doesn't matter. I hear that old dog, new trick thing still to this day. And it drives me crazy. It, you can always learn. You can always change. You can always feel better about yourself and love yourself even a little bit more. Um, I like one of the things that I was listening to just recently. Can you go to a mirror and look in the mirror at yourself and count to 10? Like, can you actually spend 10 seconds looking at yourself? Do you enjoy what you look at? And if you can't, you need to work. You get to work. 
find the right person or persons to talk to look at your associations look at your patterns of behavior why can't you look at yourself right and it's going to be for those listening it's it's it can be a tough thing it can hurt because I used to be that person when I had when I heard this and I thought about it years ago I couldn't have been that person that looked at myself for 10 seconds or looked at myself in the mirror and had a conversation with myself in regards to gratitude or gratefulness it would just be like I'd be looking down I wouldn't be necessarily looking at myself because I wasn't pleased so we all have the ability to change um, I don't know if you've ever heard that sort of thing. You probably have, but yeah, that was kind of interesting. It was uh, just something that I had listened to. And again, that was just in the last couple of days. And they said that majority of the people in society cannot look at themselves in the mirror for 10 seconds. Right. Yes. And uh, you know, there is something that is very sad about that because it says that we live with anxiety and self-condemnation uh, that keeps us from being at peace with ourselves. And, you know, you were mentioning older people right now in, in my practice, my youngest client is 16 and my oldest is 83. Wow. And, um, I always love working with the spectrum of ages because a 16 year old has such a different view of life than an 83 year old. And yet what they're seeking is they're seeking to be at peace with themselves at peace with their life, to be happy and satisfied. And their motivation for coming into the process is very different. A 16 year old is looking at, you know, preparing to go to college and looking ahead at life and family and, um, career, an 83-year-old person is wanting to work with what's unfinished in their lives before they transition. They want to be at peace with themselves. They want to work through regrets and losses and trauma. They want to be at peace with where they are in the aging process. So no matter where we are, we, we come to, we live from our own perspective. And what we long for is to live at peace with ourselves. And we know when we can look in the mirror for 10 seconds and really stare into our own eyes and feel compassion and gratitude and, and an appreciation for who we are, we know then that we are at peace with ourselves. Yeah, that's, I like that. 16 to 83 listeners again it's never too late to give a heck about yourself it just you know never let anybody define where you're able to travel where you're able to walk on your journey in life and you're going to have people that you just need to learn to i know of myself people think they have good intentions when they share their opinions but sometimes i just look at them and i smile and i nod my head and i go you know, sometimes, oh, that's, that's interesting. Oh, thank you for sharing. It doesn't mean they, they, we walk away from one another. They think I've changed and no, I haven't. I'm still believing in doing what I'm going to do, but it, it doesn't pay to get upset at people or poke the bear. Like I tell my kids, don't poke the bear because they're, they can lash out at you. Everybody's got their, 
good intentions. You just need to find the people that are going to, you know, enhance your life, want to strengthen it, want to help you. As you said, the 83 year old wants to, you know, deal with some things before they transition. The 16 year old still trying to discover life, right? They're, they've got such a abundance of questions that they don't necessarily know how to ask or, or they're inquisitive. They're completely different, but bottom line, it still involves the fact that if you have a great person such as yourself and you have an association with somebody that's willing to help you blossom and grow and water and fertilize you the way you need to be so that you blossom and grow, it don't matter what age you are, just get it done, right? Figure it out, reach out, have conversations with, you know, Susie and uh, yeah, just move your life forward. One of the things that I think is really neat is you have the freed from stuck questionnaire, uh, right? I, I've seen yeah. some of the details. I'd like you to talk a little bit about that because you said, if you, you say on your site, if any of you, if you answer true to any of this, you know, this is, we can help you out. Is it the fact that somebody that says true to one of those items needs help or the fact that they're just confused, like, what have you found? Is it, is it something that has been tried and tested by you that always gives you the right result in the sense of that person for sure needs help? Or is it sometimes people are just misinterpreting what they're, what they're feeling in their lives? I would say that anyone who is seeking my assistance for whatever reason, is stuck. True. Uh, if they could figure it out on their own, they wouldn't be contacting me. If they felt that they had the plan in place to move their life forward in a way that was satisfying and effective, they wouldn't be contacting me. They're contacting me because there's something going on in their life that isn't working well. And if it's not working well, then you're stuck. So the questions are really to help people focus on what that experience is really like for them. And so if they answer any of those questions, it's to help them realize, yeah, you're, you're stuck in the sense that you're not moving forward with the fluidity and the joy and the freedom that you really want. You're not feeling empowered to do what you want or what you want to experience in your life. So uh, usually when people, I mean, if they're, if they're coming to my freed from stuck website, they're coming there because they they're want to stuck. be free from stuck. Yeah. 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 So what are some of the, what are some of the um, process? Like what are some of the questions? If you can let the listeners know, obviously they can check out your website, which we'll talk about in a few minutes. And, uh, I'll make sure it's in the show notes so people can easily access you. What are some of the questions that you would ask? What would they see if they were to go to your website and see this questionnaire? You know, honestly, it's been a while since I've looked at that. And so I can't even tell you what those questions would be. that's, That's fine. But what I would say is that if there is any area in your life, if there's any way in which you are feeling that your sense of love or belonging or freedom or power or fun 
are feeling compromised, if you're not living vitally in those areas of your life, then something inside is not functioning well because that's how we're created to live. We are created to have a sense of belonging and connection. We're created to give and receive love. We're created to have a sense of power in our life, a power of choice. We're created to live our life and appreciate the freedom of choices that we have every day, all along the way. And we are created to experience life as fun. Um, I don't know if you noticed on my website, I have um, a mascot of an otter. And uh, the otter is my spirit totem, if you will, because that's kind of my personality, is that I believe that we are created to experience joy and play and fun and nurturing, all of that energy that, it, that an otter is. I resonate with that. And I believe that not all of us are like otters, but all of us have those basic needs to feel satisfied in our life. And so if we're out of balance or out of sync, or we're not being filled up in those areas of our life, then we're going to feel the deficit and, and we're going to feel diminished happiness. And we are created to live a life that is, is satisfying and purposeful. Yeah, we, exactly. We're, we're put on this planet for more than just go to work, go home, get paid. <laughs> we're, right. We're, we've got so much purpose. Unfortunately, so many people don't know what their purpose is. Their purpose that they believe has been instilled again by maybe their childhood or adulthood, their significant other. And yeah, going through therapy certainly can make a difference in our lives. Uh, I've been through therapy myself in my life. I'm not afraid to admit it. Uh, as a single parent raising five kids, um, there was many times and challenges that I'd go with them to therapy where it was family therapy, individual therapy for me to not lose my mind raising four girls and a boy. <laughs> right. So, um, it was character building times, but yeah, it's, we're destined to be happy, but we have to put in the work to, to, you know, make happy, right. Create happy. So for, in regards to the free from stuck questionnaire, go to the website again, we'll make sure that you have access to knowing what that website is. Check it out. I myself found the questions very, they were fantastic. So um, it definitely, but the, the end result is, is like you said, if they're coming to your website and they're checking that out, they're stuck. Yeah. Otherwise it wouldn't be there. So that's right. right. That's, yeah. right? That, and that's perfect. So Susie, you're the author of the award winning book, freed from stuck, dare to cross the bridge beyond grief, trauma, and self-sabotage to discover lasting change. Now, what can one expect to experience and learn from your book? I present in the book five elements that are necessary to not only create change, but to sustain change and build upon it. And I use the acronym F-R-E-E-D in relationship with the metaphor of crossing a bridge. So we move from stuck to freed from stuck. And there are five elements that 
are necessary for that. Um, the F, the first one is about facing the bridge, which is about identifying what the real problem is. And the real problem is related to those areas of our life where we are dissatisfied, where our needs are not being met. Once we identify that, then the R is about recognizing the bridge, which is about looking across the bridge to the destination of where we want our life to be. Whether it's a change of a habit, whether it's about problem solving and a decision about where to live, about relationships, whatever it is that we want to change in our life, we look across the bridge it's really important that we have as clear as possible a vision of what that is. And the more emotionally charged that vision is, the more support we have internally to make the process of crossing the bridge. So we work to really get a picture of what do you imagine your life is going to be like? when you cross this bridge, when you become freed from stuck. So then the third element is to embrace the bridge. And what this is, is about, this is about identifying any blocks or obstacles, either externally or internally, that are keeping us from living the quality of life that we want. It's also about putting together a plan that is doable, it's realistic, and that it makes sense for us to be able to get where we want to be. The next element, E, is exit the bridge. And this is one that we often don't talk about in the change process, but it's really essential. And that is that we must be willing to let go of what is no longer serving us. And in letting go of what is no longer serving us, there is grief. And we are designed as human beings that we resist grief because it's the most difficult human task that we do. And yet it's so essential to recognize that even when we willingly choose to let go of something, there is a loss in that. And to the depth that we love is the depth of our grief. So the depth of our attachment is the depth of our grief. And we must be willing to recognize that as part of that process of change. The D, which is about arriving at the destination while discovering your destiny, if you will. And by that, I mean, the task is to get where you want to go. But in that transformational change process, there is also incredible potential to know who you really are, to know what your true values are, to know what's important to you, to know what brings you joy. So in that change process, not only do you arrive at a destination, but you discover your destiny. And by that, I mean what it means for you in how you're going to lead and, and experience your life purposefully. So hopefully you don't just arrive at the goal, but you also discover more about your own potential and who you are. We also know that when you arrive from stuck to freed from stuck at that destination, there's always another bridge. Because as we grow, we're going to constantly be dealing with those aspects that are stuck. 
But if we understand that these elements are all really important in navigating that process, it gives us the resources more easily to move forward in our lives to be able to move through being stuck more easily and more quickly. Yeah, it's it's that's a process. Obviously, it's it's something that again, as you we've talked about the fear of what stops people. But if you know people listening, if you can at least start read the book, get some gain some confidence that it is possible that any change that you want to experience is possible. That's why that's why people such as Susie or myself write books is to help people know, like, and trust us. And if you're fearful because of past trauma and communicating, because not all therapists or people that coach are good. Let's be real. They're not. They're, some, some of them are just about the money. They're not really about the relationship. They're about the transaction. Um, the book is a great place to start. It is a good place. And if that resonates with you, certainly I would highly recommend you reach out because that freed acronym you talked about and and as you step through it, it's amazing. It's very simplistic, but it's also a journey of work and self-awareness, um, obviously. And I like how you put the depth of your, of the attachment is the depth of your grief. That is so true. The more we, especially if it's a loss of a relationship or it's a loss of, you know, an individual. Um, I know myself when I lost my granddaughter in 2017 and the grief I went through is because of my literally, like you said, the depth of my attachment. I loved her to pieces and seeing what she went through and, and went through that horrible journey of her health challenges before she passed. It, it just, as soon as you said that, it, it, it connected to me in the sense that it, that is so true. If you don't really care about somebody, there's not a lot of depth of attachment or you kind of care about them and the relationship breaks up, you just like, ah, eh, right? Or they pass away. It's like, oh, that's sad. That's, it's, you know, too bad. But then you have those people in your life living or they passed away that it just, it, it just grips you. It hurts. Yeah. Right. So um, I appreciate that. Thank you for sharing about your book and uh, I encourage the listeners to check it out. I imagine it's available on all platforms. Right? On Amazon. Yeah. Or they can go through the website and that will take them to Amazon. Right on. Fantastic. So Susie, if you had to give our listeners one last closing message, what would you tell them in regards to giving a heck and never giving up? That is exactly what I would say. I would say, do not give up. Even if your experiences in the past in seeking out support and assistance have not given you what you want, it's so important to continue to be tenacious, to seek, because you will, you will, if you keep seeking, you will find the resources. You will find the people that will be able to understand what's going on for you, what you need and what you need to do to be able to move forward. There are people out there and sometimes it's just a, it's a, a, a personality issue where it just something doesn't click, um, which is why I always give people a 45 minute initial consultation for us to meet and to see, can we work together? Can we 
real because it's such a personal intimate experience and such an honor when people come to me and share their life experiences and so it has to it has to be able to work but i encourage you to do the what i call the next most simple step to create change it may be going to the website it may be picking up the phone and calling someone it may be starting to research something and giving yourself permission to ask questions. Whatever it is, take that next most simple best step that you can. Oh, that's great last closing message. Never give up on yourself, right? Don't, don't think that a connection means you're never gonna get help, right? Sometimes it's just, you know, certain things or certain people aren't meant to be in the all seasons of your life. And, and maybe they're not even in the start of, of a season of your life. And it just, you don't connect. I've had that happen too. I know from, from um, using my family as an example, it took my one daughter quite a while before she felt comfortable with a counselor. And then I have another daughter that started with a counselor. And now that counselor is whatever happened to them. They just disappeared off the planet. And she hasn't really looked to find a replacement because of the fact it took her so long to find somebody she can know, like, and trust. So therapy is definitely not something that is concrete in the sense that you, you find somebody, hold on to them. You can't find somebody that you click with. It's you know, it's going to sound bad, but when you go and purchase something, you go and you'll check out, for an example, a vehicle, you'll go, you'll put more people will put more effort into finding a vehicle that fits their needs and their, and you know, that they're excited about, then they'll put into their own mental health. Right. And I would agree. Yes, absolutely. And I always say to people, you're making an investment and it's a significant financial investment. It's a significant time and energy investment, but it is an investment for your lifetime. The changes that you make now, the resources you gain now, the insights you gain now will serve you the rest of your life. So the sooner that you make the choice to find someone that you can work with and, and make that investment, the more it will serve you in the quality of your life for the rest of your life. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I, I think of all the things that I've learned as I continue to climb in my journey of life in my, you know, in my fifties, I still am giving her and wanting to learn and my thirties and my forties and my fifties, everything that I've learned throughout the stages continues to help me stay sane, level up. Right. And I don't think I'll ever arrive. Right? I don't, I'm going to be working until the day I take my last breath. And I hope I am because I don't want to become stagnant in my mindset and think that um, I've arrived because there's always new things that we can learn that can help us deal with our struggles, right? And our trials and tribulations. Absolutely. So our time is almost up and I want to respect our listeners and your time. However, before we end, can you please tell the listeners what's the best way to reach you? The best way to reach me is to go to my website, which is freedfromstuck.com. 
Sounds great. I'll make sure that goes into the show notes that uh, listeners or people watching, you can, if you're new to the show, you can access at giveaheck.com. Um, you'll see a portal button to go into the podcast part of my site, and you will see the show notes where you can discover some information about Susie and find links to access her easily. Um, I appreciate you being on, Susie. This has been a fantastic conversation. Thanks so much. I agree. It has been a delight. Thank you. You're welcome. So again, thanks so much for being on Give a Hack, Susie. I appreciate your time and sharing some of your experiences so that others too can learn it is never too late to give a hack. Thank you for taking time out of your day and listening to Give a Heck. If you find value, I'd appreciate you sharing with your friends and family so they too can learn how to live life on purpose, not by accident. So you do not miss the next episode. Please subscribe on your favorite podcast platform and please also post a review. I look forward to reading your comments. This has been Dwight Heck. If you want to check out other podcast episodes or today's show notes, please check out my website, giveaheck.com and until next time together let us all strive to give a heck